Welcome to Grace Marietta, where we believe our mission is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. If this is your first time joining us, we want to say welcome, and we're so glad that you're listening to this podcast of our weekend services. If you're local to the Atlanta area, we want to invite you to come join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. During this COVID season, our service times differ just a little bit, where our 9 a.m. service is in our sanctuary, socially distanced and mass required, and our 10.30 service is outdoors, where masks aren't required and still distanced. Whether you're listening by yourself, with family or friends, we hope that this message encourages you and allows you to see the kingdom dream that God has placed in your life. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, a couple quick announcements on the front end here. Uh, this week we made a, uh, a big move as a church. It's a really significant move that we've made as a church. Uh, we announced this week that Meredith Bennett, who is beloved by all, right? Am I, am I right on that? Meredith Bennett, who is beloved by all, is, has moving, is moving into a new role. And Meredith has faithfully been our children's pastor uh, for the last three and a half, four years, uh, and has been amazing at, at her role and been incredible with the work that she's doing. Our children's ministry has like quadrupled in size. The quality of leaders, the quality of material that your kids are getting here at Grace Marietta is incredible. Uh, and uh, as we started searching for a youth pastor, we started praying what was the best thing for us to do and how do we bring some stability to our student ministry program. Uh, we wanted someone who was faithful and, and stable and could be there long term. And so we started talking to Meredith about Meredith stepping into a new role where she not only oversaw our children's ministry, but where she also oversaw our student ministry uh, and where she stepped into a role as the next generation pastor. And so Meredith is stepping into that new role this week uh, as the next generation pastor, which means she's going to be overseeing our children's ministry and overseeing our student ministry, and we're in the process of looking to hire a part-time children's person and a part-time youth person right now. Uh, and so Meredith is stepping into a new role of authority and a new role of position, and we could not be more excited about that. If you are a parent of youth uh, this is a huge move for us because Meredith uh, is loved by our students already. Um, just in the short time when she's been helping out our students uh, during COVID, our, our student ministry is already growing really, really rapidly. And so if you are a high school or junior high student, I want you to go to the website. I want you to go to our student section, gracemarietachurch.com, and find out all the details of everything that's happening. They're gathering on Wednesdays for some teaching and and some growth and discipleship, and they're gathering on Sunday nights for just fun and lots of good things that are happening. And the student ministry is really, really growing. So would you continue to pray with us for our student ministry? We believe that breakthrough is possible. Um, we are committed 100% to discipling the next generation. We are committed to serving and loving Wheeler High School really, really well. And we're praying for breakthrough in our student ministry. and want to ask you guys to pray for that with us. And then we want to pray for whoever's going to come in as our part-time student person or our part-time children's person. Uh, so be praying around that as we start searching and praying about what's next in, in those areas. The other thing that's really exciting is the park. I don't know if you guys have been outside and seen what's going on right next to the building uh, but our park is happening. Uh, it's really amazing. And so the playground equipment is up. 
Uh, after church last Sunday, a bunch of the little ones tested it out for us, and it didn't fall down or break, and so we think it's good. Uh, the basketball goals are going in this week. The, the lines are getting painted soon. Uh, the, the landscaping is coming. There's a lot of new things happening. Um, but one of the things that when I arrived here as the pastor about three years ago, there was just this beautiful space that used to be inhabited by tons of people, and the community used to use the park all the time, but it just kind of become an eyesore. It had kind of fallen apart a little bit. It had, the park had fallen on hard times, uh, and uh, we wanted to renovate that space and make it a space that was viable for the community. It was really cool this week. Uh, I had conversations with like seven different people who were just saying, I can't wait to get my kids out there. When are you opening it? I can't wait to, to play out there. When are the basketball goals going on there? I talked to a basketball program here in, uh, in, in, in the East End who was saying, we want to use that for our practices because we're having a really hard time finding indoor space right now. Is there a time when we could use that? And so lots of traction already on the park, and we're really, really excited about it and really, really grateful for everybody who sacrificed to make that happen uh, because stuff like that doesn't happen unless the entire church comes together to make that happen. And so I know many sacrificed financially uh, to make that happen. We raised around $350,000 for the park, um, but I want to just bring everybody's awareness to the fact that we are in the middle of COVID, and because we're in the middle of COVID, it's been really difficult to keep those pledges going and to keep those things happening, and so as you guys can understand, there's a lot of people who have pledged and then COVID hit and are saying, I, we can't follow through in our commitment to that, and so we're a little short of the finish line for the park, and so I just want to invite you, if you have pledged and are able to get that money in, please get that in. Uh, if you have pledged and you're able to do a little more, we wouldn't be mad about that. Uh, if you have not pledged at all or are new to the church and are just saying, I like the idea of a park right there and I'd love to help out, you can go to Grace Marietta Church slash park and help us out. We're about $100,000 short of what we want, um, which means there's a couple parts of the park that are going to be unfinished as of our launch, which is coming in real soon. But we would love to get across the finish line and, and finish all of those things and, and get that done, and we're really excited uh, about the progress of all of that. Good? Uh, get out there, and if you haven't seen it, drive, just as you're exiting, drive around the back and just take a peek at it. It's really beautiful and, and really fun, and it's top-notch. Like, I'm, I'm amazed at the, uh, how in incredible it is. Uh, we are in our series called We Were Kings, walking through the book of 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and it's interesting because as we journey through the book of 1 Kings, we run into many of our core values as a church, and, and we do that today. Um, have you ever been in a place in your life where you've wanted to force a miracle? Where you wanted to force something amazing to happen? I remember as a little kid, I grew up in a small town, Dayton, Ohio, uh, and, and, and went to a, a church there, and it was a big church. And I can remember as a little one sitting in like vacation Bible school where we would all gather for the summer and all the kids would gather for a full week and, and, and there was like the felt boards and all these things of telling it and people dressed up like certain characters and all these different things happened. And it was always a fun week as a kid. I don't know if any of you guys grew up doing vacation Bible school, but I can remember growing up doing that and I can remember hearing the stories of Jesus calming the storm. And I can remember hearing the stories of Jesus walking on water, and I can remember hearing stories like Elijah's story that we're going to read today in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he brings the rain, 
and where he soaks the altar and fire comes down on the altar, all of these things. And, and I remember as a kid thinking, I want to do that. Anybody else feel that? And, and I would, I would, there would be like a big storm outside, and I'd be in my room, and there'd be lightning, and I'd be like, I, I prayed with faith, right? As a little six-year-old, I was like, Lord, stop the storm. And it never happened. I was like, Lord, stop the rain. Or, or maybe it was a day where I wanted to like miss school. I never really prayed for rain, but I prayed with all my heart for snow, right? I prayed with all my heart for snow because I didn't want to go to school that day. Uh, there were these moments where I prayed. I remember trying to walk on water. Anybody else try this when you're a kid? I was like, God, if Peter did it, why can't I do it? I'm, I'm Benji Hardman. That's what they called me when I was a little one. Benji Hardman, remember me, Dayton, Ohio. Can I walk on water today? Uh, I remember trying all these things and doing all these things and, and, and wondering why it didn't happen for me. Or, or I can remember one specific time where, where I was praying that the storm would stop, but I was praying for like hours that the storm would stop. And then the storm stopped, and I was like, it, ha- it happened. I, I did it, right? I, maybe I've got this secret power that I didn't know. It's like a superhero power or something. Uh, 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 God doesn't always do miracles, And there's some moments when something impossible happens. There's some moments when something amazing happens. There's some moments when when there's these stories of these beautiful, incredible things that break through. But it doesn't always happen. But, But I want you to know that many of us in this room carry those stories of the miraculous. Where we heard that the cancer had spread and suddenly healing happens. Where we hear that the relationship is 100% over and somehow God breaks through and there's restoration and redemption. Where there's no money left and suddenly a check shows up that pays the bill. When everything seems impossible and breakthrough happens. It doesn't happen every time. But there are these moments when something that we can't explain happens. When these moments come and we say, only by the grace of God, right? So the Bible's full of these crazy stories, these impossible stories, these kingdom dreams that seem unreachable, that are awakened. And today, we want to talk about one of our core values, which is that we soak the altar. And and here's what that means. It means that we live in a holy expectation that God is present, that he's good, and that he's working. We live in a holy expectation that God is here that he is good and that he is working, and not just working, but he's working for our good. He's working on our behalf. And so we arrive here in this passage. Elijah, remember, he was hanging out at the brook. He was hanging out with the jar. He was hanging out with the widow. He's been trying. He he declared to Ahab that a drought was going to come until he prayed and said, stop the drought. And so this drought has ravaged the land. And Elijah is told to go back to Ahab and tell him that it's, a time, it's about time to have a showdown. Uh, and so he goes to Ahab. He does it through Obadiah, one of the other prophets. And Obadiah has been doing the work of hiding the prophets of Israel because Jezebel has been killing the prophets of Israel. So not only is Baal this terrible God, not only has Ahab turned his back on the God of Israel, uh, Jezebel is now killing all the people who believe in God. So Obadiah is hiding them in 50s in the caves, right? So these people are are leaving the city. They're hiding out in caves. Obadiah is hiding him. Uh, Elijah comes back. He goes to Ahab. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, it says this. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah... 
Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Here's what he says. Listen, I am not the one that's causing this problem. You are. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to bring everybody who is the prophet of Baal, 450, bring all of them. In fact, we're not even dealing with, with Asherah. We're not even dealing with this other God, but bring all her prophets as well, right? Bring all the prophets, bring them all together. I don't care if there's a thousand of them. Bring them all to Mount Carmel. Bring all the power of Baal. Bring everything that you possibly can to meet me on Mount Carmel. Now, why is this happening? Why is there a God showdown going on here? Because I don't necessarily recommend God showdowns, right? It's not the best evangelism technique. If some of you are looking for evangelism techniques, maybe the God showdown's not the best way to do it. Uh, but here's what's happening here. Remember what we talked about last week. Baal is the God who has defeated all the other gods. This is what they teach about it. He is, the, he is the God who defeated the God of the sea. He's the God that defeated the God of the land. He's the God that has battled with all the other gods and shown victory. Baal is also known as the God of the what? The God of the harvest. He's the God of the rain. He's the God who brings forth these amazing harvests for the people, and he protects the people and provides for them. And so the people believe that Baal defeats other gods, and he also is the one that is the God of the harvest, which is a problem when there's a drought in land. Sometimes what the God of Israel does is he causes calamity so that we will, be, so that we will see the idols that we serve. He puts us in a place where we recognize that the God that we have been serving is not the God of Israel. So what do we do in a drought? What do we do in a season where there is no rain? What do we do in a season that feels empty and dry and difficult and challenging? How do we live in these spaces? What do we do when we need a miracle? Do we do a God showdown? Do we try and force the miracle? What does this look like? And I want to give us three things today that we see in this passage through the life of Elijah that are really important to us. The first thing that we do is we honestly and humbly face the obstacles in front of us. Now, oftentimes, what we do in a drought, or what we do when we're in a dry season, or what we do when we're feeling empty, or what we do when we're feeling alone, or hurting, or wounded, or broken, is we, we, we hide from it. We try and pretend as if it's not happening. We try and deny reality. It doesn't hurt that bad. I'm just going to get really busy with other things in my life over here and hope that this thing just somehow goes away. I'm not going to face the real troubles that I'm walking into. I'm not going to look at the real challenges that I'm walking through. I'm going to actually pretend that they're not happening. I'm going to get busy with other things. I'm going to deny their existence. I'm going to shrink back from what's happening. And what we do when we do that is we don't face what's real. We don't turn our face towards the actual pain, the actual woundedness, the actual brokenness that's happening. Guys, we have been through a collective trauma as a country in 2020. I don't know if you guys have lost loved ones, but I have. I don't know if you have uh, people in your family who have been sick, but I have. I don't know if you know people who have lost their jobs, but I know plenty. 
I don't know if you know people who are hurting and are broken right now. I'm hearing it every single week over and over and over again. The amount of anxiety, stress, pressure that is felt in our country right now is higher than it's ever been since I've been a pastor. There is a collective fatigue and there is a collective brokenness and there is collective wounds that we're all experiencing and walking through together and we have to look at them in the face and deal with them. What COVID has done, what 2020 has done is it has revealed what's actually going on. It's kind of shined a light on our world and on our culture and on each of us and revealed what's actually real. What do we actually believe in? Because what happens is when we're squeezed, what's real comes out, right? When you squeeze an orange, you don't get grape guts, right? You, you, you get what's inside. And sometimes what happens is there is a squeezing in our culture and when we are squeezed, what's real comes out of us. And this is what's going on here. There is a squeezing in our culture right now and what's real is what's coming out of us. And we're starting to realize that suffering can either be our enemy or it can be our teacher. We can fight against it and run from it and hide from it or we can face our dragons. We can look it in the face and say, all right, Lord, what are you teaching me in this season? What are we learning? What am I walking through? What is this revealing about my heart? What is this revealing about my idols? What is this revealing about what I'm really in love with and what I really care about? In Ephesians 5, chapter 7, it says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are, in, you are with the Lord of light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing for the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But listen to this. This is so key, guys. This is such an important factor for us to remember during this season. It says, verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We can't deal with something until we bring it out into the light. We can't deal with our own woundedness, or our own brokenness. We can't deal with the obstacles that we're facing. We can't deal with the dried up places of our heart and our soul until we actually bring them into the light and face them. And then it says, for anything that becomes visible is light. So God says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and the love of Christ will shine upon you. We wake up, we rise up, and then the love of Christ shines upon us. We name what's real. So what droughts are you facing in 2020? What are the obstacles that you're looking at or not looking at? What are the, what's the inner work that needs to be done in your life? As you've been squeezed in this season, what's come out that you didn't realize was in there that needs to be dealt with? What's happening? What needs to be faced in your life? Because there has been this shaking in this season and that shaking is shaking away the things that are not of the kingdom. Hebrews 12 says the kingdom of God is unshakable, but there will be times when the world is shaken so that the shaken things will fall off so that the unshakable things will remain. And this season has been this great shaking for us where things that don't belong to the kingdom, that aren't of God, are falling off and are falling away if we truly face them and bring them into the light. Or we can just ignore them and pretend like nothing's happening. I think the invitation here of Elijah is Elijah walked into a moment where he's afraid of death. When he goes to Ahab, Ahab is killing all the Christians. And he does, he's not afraid, he steps into it. He's putting himself in a place where his full dependence and trust and faith are all on God. 
He's believing that God will work and that God will come through. There's a fear of God not coming through. There's a fear of God abandoning him. All of these things, but he's opening himself up for this moment. The, the Lord didn't simply want Elijah to survive the drought. He wanted him to learn to serve and trust him in the arid and arduous moments and in the trenches of the drought. God used the drought to open a new door. If we are followers of Christ, then droughts become doors, guys. They become openings into a new season that God's inviting us into. They become challenges that invite us into new places. Every new season is invited into by a door. And oftentimes, I don't love this concept, but oftentimes the door is the drought. The door is some pain. The door is some brokenness. The door is some woundedness because it's in those moments where God gets our attention enough for us to actually face him. And the question that we have is what's the door that God's preparing to open for you? And do you trust him? And are you willing to walk through it? Verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent all the people of Israel, and he gathered all the prophets together at Mount Carmel, all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah, 850 of them are all gathered on this mountain. And, and Elijah came near to all the people, and he said this, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him with a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only I am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Are we willing to stand up against the crowd? Because if we're going to be followers of Christ, there are going to be moments when we feel like I alone am standing here. I can remember when I was in college, I, I, I lived with, a, with a, like a fraternity house full of boys, and I was the only believer in that house. And I was the intern at my church to become the youth pastor at that church. I was studying for ministry, and I can remember every single Friday night saying to the Lord, I and only I am not doing things that I shouldn't be doing tonight. <laughs> Every Friday, everybody leave, everybody go out. And I was like watching reruns of Full House or something. Like I, it was the lamest life. And I remember saying, Lord, why am I the only one that's standing here? Why am I the only one that's standing up for truth? There are moments in our life where we feel like we are the only ones. And, and, and God over and over again reveals there's, there's more. It's not just you. It's not just you. It's not just you. So Elijah tells him to go prepare two bowls. He's setting up a good old God showdown. Uh, Baal is the defeater of all the gods, and so he tells him to go. And then in verse 26, it says, And they took the bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from moving until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And then they limped around the altar that God had made them. I don't know what the limping means. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. I love Elijah. Here's what he says to them, cry aloud for he is God, for maybe he's musing, maybe he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. It's the only time in the Bible where I think anybody mocks another God by saying maybe they're in the bathroom. I, I, I like that. And they cried aloud, and they cut them themselves, as was their custom, with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday paused, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. The offering of the oblation means an offering that is significant. It's an offering that is solemn. It's an offering that really matters. But there was no voice. No one answered them. And no one paid attention. 
what do we do when there's a drought? The second thing that we do is we soak and repair the altar. I, I, I love the imagery of what Elijah does here. The Baal's prophets are screaming loudly from morning to noon. Elijah is just sitting off on the side waiting, knowing and trusting. There's this quiet confidence that God is going to come through. No matter what the loud noises in culture is, there is a confidence that God is good and that he's working. Verse 30, it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. That's what stopped me this week when I was preaching. Every time this week when I read this story, that's the moment that caught in my throat a little bit. That feels like the work of 2020, doesn't it? What are we called to do as the people of God? Let's repair the altar of of God. Let's repair all the things that have been broken in this season. Let's repair all the wounds that have come up. Let's step into a place where we're repairing it. And I don't know what had happened to the altar there. I don't know when the last time someone had prayed at the altar of God at Mount Carmel. I don't know if it had fallen apart. I don't know if the rocks were not in position. I don't know what repairing that altar looked like, but it's doing the work of making certain that there is a place to worship, that there is a place for us to go, that there is a God who is good, and that we're going to pray and we're going to worship there regardless of what's happening in our culture around us. It doesn't matter how loud the prophets of Baal are. We are going to be the ones who repair the altar. Verse 31, it says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar as great as contained two seahs of seed. And, and he put the wood in order and cut the bowl into pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering of the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. So they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. So they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. This is scandalous what Elijah's doing here, right? In a season of extreme drought, what's the most valuable resource? Water. And he's dumping water. He's wasting water. He's dumping. I don't know where he got the water. I don't know where he found the water. I don't know where he came up with the water. I don't know if he found like Obadiah's stash somewhere and grabbed it and filled it up. But he's taking all of this water and he's dumping it. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this. It says, sow righteousness for yourself. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. I love that. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. The way that we do it is we break, it says, your unplowed ground. It's we do the work of breaking up the ground. It's we do the work of repairing the altar. We do the work of repairing ourselves. We do the work of bringing our best self to the altar. And then in that moment, he showers his righteousness upon you. I think sometimes we lack the faith to repair the altar because we don't have an imagination of how good God is. We lack an imagination of what rain in the middle of a drought feels like. We lack the hunger and the thirst for the goodness and the righteousness of God. What's the area of your life right now where you would want the most breakthrough? Is it finances? 
Is it relationships? Is it healing? Is it that you want God to bring something new? What's the prayer that you have been praying in the middle of the drought over and over and over again and hoping that God would show up and praying that God would, be, would deal with you justly, praying that God would move and that God would work? Oftentimes in our life, we're faced with these moments where, where God is allowing, or sometimes, could I say, he's even causing things to seem more impossible. We have this promise, and we believe there's this great promise that's out there, but maybe God has sent us to do something. Maybe he's asked us to go somewhere, and we're being faithful, and we're walking in it, but it feels like every time we get close, God just dumps another bucket of water from heaven on it. Have you ever felt like that? Like it feels so impossible because the altar's so soaked. It feels so impossible because every time I get close to the breakthrough, something else happens. I take, a, I take two steps forward and three steps back, and I can't get the progress. I can't get the breakthrough, and it just feels like barrel after barrel gets dumped on the altar that I'm trying to repair. And as I try and repair the altar, there's just more dumping on it. That's what 2020 has felt like with pastoring. It feels like any time we get a sense of peace or of calmness or our culture is starting to settle down or people are stopping yelling at each other, something else stirs up, there's another bucket that's dumped on it and that bucket ignites something new and crazy and all of a sudden our world is in chaos again. It's just felt like the trauma of over and over again. I don't even want to watch the news anymore. I don't want to pay attention to what's upsetting everybody this week because I'm certain there's going to be something new this week and the next week, and the week after that. And over and over again, we go through this cycle of work. I just felt like we were gonna get peace and then something else got dumped on the altar. And at that point, we can throw our hands up and we can say, this is impossible, this is stupid. We can walk away. Or we can do what Elijah did, which is that we trust that God is present, that God is good, and that he's working, and that a testimony is just getting ready to be formed. The story is coming of God's breakthrough. The third thing that we do when we're in the middle of the drought is we just simply pray for rain. We faithfully, diligently petition the Father for rain. Uh, around here at Grace, we use the term, we are rooted and we are renegade. It's my favorite thing about Grace. And there are some of you who are here because you love the fact that we are rooted. You love the fact that we are a church that opens up the Bible diligently, expositorily, every single week. We open up the Word of God and we just walk through the Word of God. You love that we're rooted in the Bible. Some of you love that we're rooted in a community, that we're rooted in a context, that we believe in local parishes, that we're not simulcasting our celebrity pastor, but we're actually here discipling, that we're at the school that we live by, that we're talking to our neighbors week after week, that we're in investing in the community that we live in. You love that we're rooted in a neighborhood. You love that we're rooted in scripture. You love that we're rooted in, 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 in all of these different things. And, and, and you get a little confused by the renegade stuff that's going on. And some of you, you love the renegade nature of grace. You love that grace is always trying something new. You love that there's no way that we aren't, we aren't gonna wreck the roof to get people to Jesus. You love that we have just enough hope and faith to believe that God still brings the rain. 
You love that, that we're doing, we're, we're going to the Muslim world where nobody else is going and we're trusting that God's gonna show up. You love that we keep trying to start churches in places all over the country and believing that when we do this, God shows up. And I want you to know whether this is your first time here or whether you belong to this family forever, this is a family that has been soaking the altar for generations. This is, a, this is a family that has been believing and trusting. There is this history in the family of the Grace family, not just here in Marietta, but in all the Grace churches all over the country, that is believing that God is going to show up, that the impossible is going to happen, that hope is right around the corner, that God is working and moving even when it seems impossible. And the reason we live that way is because soaking the altar is the best way to live. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. That's what scripture teaches us. And we're gonna continue to hope in him. We're gonna continue to believe. And 2020 has felt like a year where we shrink back from our prayers. We shrink back from our prayers of breakthrough. We shrink back from our prayers of finances. We shrink back from our prayers of, of, of amazing things happening. 2020 doesn't feel like a year to start two new churches, but we're doing it right now. 2020 doesn't feel like a year where we're supposed to step into new things, where we're supposed to take new risks, but we're believing in this crazy way that God is showing up because I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't believe that the rain is gonna come. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't believe that our best days are ahead of us. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that shrinks back from the challenges that culture throws at us. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't soak the altar that believes that maybe today God will bring the rain. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't keep believing and trusting that there's more in the next generation than we could ever hope for or imagine and is gonna keep diligently discipling the next generation. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't keep soaking the altar believing that fire could come at any moment. Moments. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't believe that every time there's a drought, there is a God who provides. I don't wanna be a part of a movement that doesn't believe that even when there are 850 prophets of another God, that we will stand diligently and trust that God will bring the fire. I still wanna be that little boy praying for rain, guys. And there's gonna be times when we're gonna pray diligently and we're gonna soak the altar and we're gonna pray and nothing's gonna happen. And so what do we do? Keep praying. We keep soaking the altar. We keep asking. We keep hoping. We invite others to hope with us. It's terrible to hope alone. We keep hoping and praying. And then there are those moments when something happens. Verse 36, it says, at the time of the offering of the oblation, right, this is a solemn offering, a significant offering. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people will know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust licked up the water that was in the trenches. And when the people saw this, they fell on their face and said, the Lord he is God, the Lord, he is God. And you know what happened next? It rained. What's the prayer that you're praying that seems impossible? What's the miracle that you're asking for that seems just out of reach? And today, as I was praying, I just kind of said, Lord, what, do you, what is it you want me to do with this text? Because I can get everybody fired up about it. You get everybody excited that you're good and that you do miracles sometimes, but what is it that you want to do? 
And I felt like the Lord just said, I just want to raise our faith up a little bit today. I just want to, I want you to remind everybody that even in the drought, God brings the rain. And so we keep repairing the altar. We keep facing our obstacles and we keep praying for rain. What's that look like in your life this week? In the next seven days, what are the obstacles that you need to face that maybe you've been denying? What's the altar that you need to repair that maybe has been broken? And where in your life are you praying for rain? Luke 18, verse 27 says this, And he, that is Jesus, said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I'm going to read it again because I want to get an amen. And I know, I know the first service we got masks on and it's a little lame, but, but I want to read it again because I want to rise in our faith today, right? The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Yeah? And so even in the middle of 2020, when it feels like there's just another obstacle, when it feels like there's just another challenge, when it feels like there's just another thing that's insurmountable, we soak the altar, and we hope. So we're going to move into a time of worship, and during that worship, we're going to do a baptism, which is pretty exciting. Uh, if there's ever been a sign that new life is happening in the middle of 2020, how about a baptism is a sign of that, right? Uh, and so uh, for those of you who are a part of that, you guys can go on back there. If anybody sitting out there is like, I want that. I want Jesus. I want to be baptized. We'll do that. There is water right there. And uh, we have people that would love to do that. And you just come up here and see me and we'll make that happen uh, today. But we're going to move into a time of response and of worship. Uh, We're going to take communion and we're going to kind of spend a moment of reflection. Uh, And during that reflection, I just want you to be praying, right? Who is, who's the Lord inviting me? Uh, what's What's the Lord inviting me to pray for? What does repairing the altar look like? What's the obstacle that I need to face in my life? And let's just pray through that quietly together. And then the band is going to come back up. And, and if you haven't been around Grace, when we do baptisms, we do them big. Uh, and, and so what that means is we stand and we worship together. Uh, we clap. We get excited. And the moment that that person comes up out of the water, we celebrate that new life with a, with a loud shout and yell. So I'm trusting you all in here that uh, we're going to make up for our lack of numbers with our enthusiasm with that yell uh, this morning. And we're going to be thrilled for Ari, who's getting baptized today. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you for this story in the middle of the book of 1 Kings that happened generations ago that reminds us that you're not finished with us yet. That reminds us that you are the God of miracles you are the God who does his best work in the drought. And so we pray now, Heavenly Father, in a dry and thirsty land, would you bring the rain? In a country that is hurting and broken, would you bring healing? And would you teach us, your church, to be the repairer of the altars? Would you teach us, your church, to soak the altar again? And would you bring the fire, God? Here's our commitment, Lord. We're going to keep repairing the altar. We're going to keep setting the table, and we're going to keep praying for rain. And we pray that there comes days when we get to see the fire from heaven again. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you're good, that you're with us, and that you have not forgotten us, 
You have not abandoned us. You're just setting us up for the breakthrough. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.